Well, good morning, everyone. As Ryan said, I'm Ryan. Uh, it's pretty easy. Um, and it is a treat to be with you um, all again. This is a, uh, a much beloved church from uh, my family. And I'm thankful for your all's witness and presence here in the city. And it's just a treat to be back with people that I know and love. And so it's good to be with you all this morning. If you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read that. Uh, We're going to read the entirety of the chapter there. Um, I believe it's printed for you in your bulletin as well on page 10. Is that right? Yep. Nope, it's not there. So it's going to be on page 10 in the Bible. That's how early we are. Okay. Well, if you'll turn there, we'll read this, but let's, let's catch up just a little bit. Your pastors have been taking you through a series called, I believe, Grace on Mission. And the idea of connecting how God's grace comes into our lives, how it meets us where we're at, how it changes us, and then how it sends us out to serve the world around us, how it changes us to be mission, missional as it were, and also to be agents of change in this world, this good world that God has made. And so that really is a little bit of what you've been looking at. Today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 15, which is in some ways just a watershed moment in the book. We're going to look at the figure of Abraham and what God does with him here at the sunset where the stars begin to emerge and God begins to speak to him. So if you would, let's read together God's word to us. It is his word given to us in love. We would do well to listen to it this morning. Let's read together. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, Abram that is, and said, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, How am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself... You shall go down to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. 
When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Well, amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask him to help us to understand what he would have us to know and learn about himself this morning. Our Father in heaven, we ask now that because of the great love that you have for the Son, that you might send your spirit here with us to open our hearts and open our ears and our eyes that we might see Jesus. That is our great hope this morning. That we would see all that he has done for us and that we might marvel. That we might be caught up afresh in this great wonder of the gospel that Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. Oh Lord, would you do that for us? Would you do that, do that, that we might know you more, that we might love you more, and that we might be heirs of your grace, but through that well as well, Lord, that we might be dispensers of this grace as well to the world around us. We lift this all up in your name. Amen. Well, I have a question for us this morning, and that is this. How can we know that God will make good on his promises? It's a big question. How can we know that? How can we live confidently when the circumstances and the data of our lives seem to be in tension with what God has told us about himself, about ourselves, and the world around us? In other words, to put it another way, where do we find the emotional, the spiritual, and the social resources to live life in the gap? What gap? In that gap between our present circumstances and what God has spoken to us. Life in the gap. Now, if you have a pulse, you know what life in the gap is like, don't you? You know what it's like. The company has let you know that you've got two months left there. Downsizing and restructuring will leave you jobless. And yet, God has promised to take care of you. After all, you are more valuable to him than the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. Or the children that you're raising, right? The children that you're raising or have to raise don't seem to be sensitive to the things of the Lord. There's life in the gap. Callous or indifference, perhaps, or unbelief seem to be winning the day in their lives. There's a gap, isn't there, between this and the promise that God made when he spoke about his promises being for you and your children. Life in the gap also looks like this. You could be in high school or in college, and loneliness abounds. The gifts of community and friends seem to be a long way off when you're sitting alone at the lunch table. Loneliness in a sea of people. And God has made you part of his people. Do you know life in the gap there, friends? Or lastly, for so many of us, God has promised to be near to us. To be near to us. And not just in some intellectual way, but in a felt sense. And yet through prayer, through worship, through community, why does it seem like his presence is so elusive? His distance 
seems to be closer at times than his presence. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's life in the gap. That's life in the gap. It can happen in churches. It can happen individually. And so I just simply ask you, where have you, where have you lived between the promises of God and the present circumstances that seem to run counter to these very promises? I'm not asking if you have, you see, I said, if you had a pulse, you know what this is like. I'm asking where you have, because it is something that every one of us knows deep in us. And it's because of that, that Genesis 15 really is for you and for me today. Because you see, Abram as well, the soon to be Abraham knew it too. God had made profound promises to him, but they appeared slow in the coming, if you know what I mean. And they didn't make sense in the face of life itself. But I would like to show you this, that as we'll soon see, God himself knows about this gap. He really does. And in light of that, in his kindness and in his compassion, he bends to our fears. He moves to us and our questions. And yes, even in the face of our unbelief, he comes to us to remind us that in the end, he is profoundly faithful. And he does everything that he can to remind us that he loves us, that he's with us, and that he will never bail on us. And that is profoundly good news today. So let's take a look at this perplexing text, I will admit, from Genesis chapter 15. And instead of walking through a series of points like I'm prone to do, I would rather like to walk us through the story a little bit and then ask why this matters for our lives. And then lastly, to touch on the significance of this actually lived out in our lives. So that's kind of my hope for this morning. That's where I'm going. Let's take a look first at the idea of the text itself. What is it telling us? Did you catch it there? God has spoken to Abraham. But there is a backstory, is there not? As you've already learned, back in Genesis chapter 12, God has come to Abram. God has come to him in the town of Ur, which is about 150 miles southeast of modern-day Baghdad. And there, God has asked Abram and has told him, really, to go, to leave his family, to leave his country, to leave the moon God that he was worshiping, and go to a place that God himself would show him. And in fact, if that weren't amazing enough, do you know what happens? Abraham actually does it. That's what's amazing as well. He actually goes. But there's also more to this story. As you've heard a few weeks ago, God in his wisdom and in his grace makes some pretty amazing promises to Abram as well. He says what? I am going to bless you. I am going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the world. In fact, Abram, here's how it's going to work. Everybody that comes to know me is going to do so through you. Now, you talk about like life goals. Abraham's got them. That's pretty impressive. But the story doesn't end there. That is the backstory. So in short, God has made promises prior to Genesis chapter 15 to give Abraham both a people and land, a people and land. And so as we move into our text today in Genesis chapter 15, there really are two cycles verses one through six. One of those promises gets talked about 
And in verses 7 through 21, the second one gets talked about. So that's where we're going this morning. Let's take a look, first of all, at this current situation here in verses 1 through 6. Here's the issue. None of these promises have come to pass yet. And that's where the tension lies. So there exists, you know what? A gap. A gap. A gap exists. You see, to make Abraham into a great nation, there will need to be at least one heir and some land. And what does Abram say about this? Well, verse 2 tells us. Turn your eyes there. He says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. So the promise has been made, but the fulfillment doesn't appear in its coming. The gap. Well, you know that already God has spoken to him back in Genesis chapter 13. But he said this to them, Abram. He said, Abram, I want you to look at the dust on the ground. And if you can count those little specks, then you'll have some idea of the way that I'm going to bless you. That's going to be the offspring that I give you. But Abraham, you know what, is a man just like us. I mean, think about it. You might think like hearing a voice from God, that might be like, I'm all in. Chip's all in. Let's go. I'm ready. Okay. But that's not enough. So God puts Abram's face in the dirt and says, count the sand. And you might think, okay, well, surely that would be enough. But you know what? God is kind. He doesn't just make promises. He makes repeated promises over and over again. And he's done it again. He says, instead of looking down, Abraham, now I want you to look up. And I want you to look at the stars. And God gives him an astronomy lesson, doesn't he? You see, in the middle of the night there, under the Palestine sky, God says, look up, Abram. You see these? You see them? This is how many your descendants will be. And here's the key. Your heir, it's not going to be somebody from your extended household. No, 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 no. It's going to be, the text tells us, your very own son. And when you know Abram's age and the wife Sarai or Sarah, her age, you begin to say, this just doesn't compute. And the promise begins to be even more astounding. That's what you must begin to sit in. That's the tension. You know, think about it. Here is Abram coming from the land of Ur, having many times looked up at the sky to worship the moon goddess. It's as if God repurposes the stars to be pointers of his very grace and faithfulness. And do you know what happens underneath that starlit sky? Something amazing. The text tells us right there in verse chapter and 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God. He believed God. He trusted that somehow, in some way, that God was able to do what he promised. And by believing God, Abraham became not only a paragon of faith, but he became the paradigm of faith. That he became became the one that even the New Testament would speak about over and over again, about Abraham being the man of faith. You see, when he believed God, God credited that belief. God credited that trust. God credited that, that faith, as it were, as righteousness. And therefore, in other words, right standing was now had between Abram and God himself. Was Abram sinless from that day forth? Oh, absolutely not. Of course not. But in God's sight, 
He had a perfect and right standing. It was a faith righteousness, not a works righteousness. And God declared and God credited him a right standing because of it. Now that's the end of the first cycle there. Let's take a look at the other text as it keeps pressing in on us. There's more in verses seven through 21. This is where things start to get very, very interesting. Now you think the episode would end there after six, but the tension keeps mounting. The rising tension, as it were, keeps going up. You think, okay, thank you, God. I see the stars. That's enough. We're all good. But no, it's not because there's another promise that has to be talked about. It's talking about the land and verse seven tells us as much. Take a look at it. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And then Abram says this, but O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Abram asks more. He asks more of God. Oh Lord, how am I to know? Now I love this. You see, this is not, this is not the questioning of unbelief. This isn't skepticism. This isn't a a sort of prove it to me and I'm hiding behind my questions. That's not what Abram's doing. No, it really is a seeking. It's a wanting to know how God will do this. I love what one writer puts it. He puts it this way. One commentator says, complaint and faith are not antithetical. Complaint is based on taking God seriously. And that's true both for Abram and for you and for me, friends. And all that follows in this chapter answers that question, that question of how God will provide the land. But, a huge but, and this is crucial, the answer that follows is going to be an answer about how God saves, about how the work that he does to redeem and bless not only Abraham, but for all of those who have the faith righteousness that Abram had. And what is it? Let's turn to this gruesome picture of animals being cut in half. Did you catch it there? So how does God respond to Abram's question of how will I know? I mean, he's singing the Whitney Houston song, I suppose. How will I know that you're going to bless me? And God says, get some animals, cut them in half. What? What? That ought to be jarring. And in fact, it is jarring. It's not directly answering the question unless what? Unless we know what Abraham knows. Unless we were sitting in the world that he was in. And you see, what is happening, what is unfolding before his very eyes is the making of a contract. Or more properly, a covenant. A covenant between two parties. Between God and Abraham. They are about to make a profound handshake, as it were. What do I mean? You know when you go to purchase a home, for those of you who have had the privilege of buying a home or selling a home, you know the details involved in that, right? I mean, rarely would you, if you were selling your home, say, listen to a potential buyer say, I'm good for it. Like, let's just shake hands on this right now. I'll take your house. Here's the money for it. Rarely does that happen. And you know, rarely as well, um, would you as a potential buyer say, you know what, I trust this house as it is. I mean, there may be problems underneath the sheetrock and the whole deal, but I'm not too concerned about that. I'll, I'll take your word for it. No. What happens? You put it in paper. You put it on paper. You lay out, as it were, a contract. 
And why do you do this? Well, the contract obliges both parties, does it not? To certain benefits, here they are, cash for the seller, a home for the buyer, if the conditions of the contract are met. But if those conditions are not met, what happens? There are penalties to pay, perhaps the loss of earnest money or even action in the courts. You see, if those terms aren't met, these consequences happen. So both parties sign and agree to the terms. Well, a contract ceremony is about to take place. How? And here's how. When two parties back in that day wanted to agree to come to terms on something, they would sometimes take animals, cut them in half, lay half of the carcass over here and half of the carcass over here. And so you're seeing that with these animals being cut in half in a row, as it were, an alley, an aisle of dead animals flanking you on the side. And then the picture of this, instead of signing a piece of paper, is that both parties would walk through the pieces of flesh. That that was the handshake. And it was a symbolic way of saying, we're good. I agree to the terms. And here's the thing. The symbolism in the actual carcasses, right? um, They demonstrated and pictured way, way better than our contracts do about the breach of contract should you fall into it. Okay, see, so... This little ring right here on my finger is a reminder that Laura has covenanted and promised to love me until I die, until she dies. But nothing in this little piece of titanium that I think costs 50 bucks or something will tell you about the consequences if she breaks her word to me. But you know, dead animals are telling you something. What are they telling you? And here it is. It's the party saying this. If I break my end, may I be like these animals. May I myself be cut in half if I don't live up to my end of the bargain. And and historians have noticed this. Biblical commentators have known this. And it's actually in our very scriptures. Listen to what Jeremiah says in chapter 34. He's talking as the mouthpiece for God. And so it is God speaking and thus saith the Lord when he says this. This is from Jeremiah 34, 18. And the men who transgressed my covenant, there it is, and did not keep the terms of the covenant, there it is, that they made before me, I, God, will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. The officials in Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf. And I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives Their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. There it is. Jeremiah chapter 34. And here's the point. All of this was in the air at sunset that evening. A promise about was about to be made for two parties. And just before it is finalized, a deep sleep falls on Abram. Verse 12, a dreadful darkness, a a holy heaviness that is weighty with import. In that weighty darkness, in the midst of it, God speaks about the promises that he is making to Abram, about the near future of his people. They will be sojourners, which we know to be Egypt. They will grow there for roughly 400 years. They will return with all sorts of possessions to this very land. 
And you, Abram, you will die a man ripe in years in your old age. And then it happens. The event that would close the gap. The event that God used to help Abram know. In between the animals, in the midst of that vision and dream, Abram sees a smoking pot and a flaming torch. Right there in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Smoke and fire. And when you know that smoke and fire is what shows up on Mount Sinai later in the book of Exodus. And when you know that smoke and fire are what led Abram's people, his descendants, back to Canaan on that 40-year road trip. When you know that it was smoke and fire that filled the temple and filled the tabernacle as well, you knew what Abram knew, that God himself was there, passing through the pieces, literally cutting a covenant. That's what verse 18 is telling us. Where it says it's making a covenant. The word there in Hebrew is literally cutting a covenant. At that moment, God was cutting a covenant with Abram as he was passing through the pieces It was there that God gave Abram his promise that he would give them the land. Now, that's pretty spectacular, isn't it? That's vivid imagery. You think you might get the point. But here's what's so amazing. What is there pales in comparison with what is not there. And I don't know if you caught it. Who didn't go through the pieces? Abraham. Abraham did not go through. Only God did. And oh, friends, that is not by accident. No, 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 no. In fact, it has everything to do with how we understand life in the gap between our present circumstances and the promises of God. You see, this takes us really, as it were, into the very heart of the gospel itself. Let's spend a few minutes now unpacking, as it were, sort of catching us up on what all God was doing and what that actually means, that God himself was going through the pieces and Abraham himself was not. God alone goes through and he's telling us something about his very grace to us. You see, as one pastor put it, he put it like this. The question that Abraham was asking in verse eight, how can I know? How can I know? Is not only how can I know about you, God? How can I know that you will be faithful? But God, how can I know about me? How, how can I know that I'll, I'll, I'll do my bargain? How can I know that I'll uphold the the, the terms of the covenant? You see, that question is deeply embedded in there. Will I be faithful, faithful to you? Will I actually make it in face of my circumstances in a life of faithfulness to you? And by God going through the animals that day, a profound answer comes to both Abram and to us. By God passing through those pieces, God is saying this, Abram, if I fail to do All that I have said that I would do for you to give you this future and this salvation. May I be like these animals here. May I die just like them. May I be cursed just like them. May I be ripped in half as it were, judged like they are. But there's more. God doesn't just turn to Abram and say, now Abram, it's your turn. 50-50, bud. I'll keep up my end, you keep up yours. No, 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 no. You see... God alone passing through these animals, God was saying this, Abram, if I fail to keep this covenant, may I be cut off. But here's where the beauty is. But Abram, 
if you fail to keep the terms of this covenant, may I be cut off. If you fail, may I be cut off. And so you're not going through them. You're not going through the pieces. Because I love you too much for you to suffer that. And how do we know that's the case? How do we know that God would do that? How do we know that God would die for the failure of covenant keeping for his people? Well, don't you know, dear friends, that later on, centuries from then, that there actually would be something that would happen. One of Abraham's sons, actually, one of the offspring that was foretold, would actually become a curse, Galatians chapter 3 tells us, for us. And darkness again would descend, Luke chapter 23 would tell us. And when the fire of God's judgment would fall on Jesus himself, the prophet Isaiah would speak about this years before when he would say this, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And why? Because you and me failed to meet the terms of the covenant. And long ago, God knew Abraham and all of his offspring would. So what does he do? He kept us out of the pieces that we might live. You see, friends, on the cross, Jesus suffers the fate of those animals. Death itself, so that you and I might live. That's the great promise of the gospel. And in light of that, how can we live confidently now in the gap? How can we know that, 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 that this is actually for us? Well, first of all, in light of living confidently about this, let me first state the obvious. If you do not know God and what he has done for you in Jesus, do you know something? You can this very day. You can this very day. What lies at the heart of the biblical story is a story about a God rescuing his people who can't save themselves. You see, no, God helps those who can't help themselves, not the other way around. God saves in Christ those people through faith, not through moral improvement, not through being the most kind and accepting people. These friends, he saves train wrecks like you and me. Isn't that good news? That's what he does. And that's what this text is telling us. And that's good news for people like you. You see, how about you? How can you have this today? Well, you know what? Just like Abraham, you believe, you trust, and you trust that somehow God is able to make good on all the things that he said he was going to be able to do for you. There it is. And I'll just say this now. You can come talk to me after the service. Come talk to Pastor Darwin, Pastor Ryan. We would love to tell you about that. And how might you be, how might you, you might become an heir, an offspring of Abraham himself this very day. God might be doing that in your life this evening. I mean, this morning. Secondly, about that faith that I just spoke of, faith isn't devoid of doubt. I want you to know that. Many people, many Christians say, well, you know, if I have any doubt whatsoever, then I must not really be a Christian. That's hogwash. Not only, does, not only does this text tell us that, but there's other parts of the New Testament that tell us that as well. 
You see, this is profoundly encouraging to those of us who tend to spend most of our lives in the gap between our present circumstances and the fulfillment of God's promises. And it's always been that way. I mean, do you know, even after Jesus died, after he has risen again, he is soon to return to his father. The apostle Matthew puts it this way. He tells us something about that ragtag bunch of followers where he writes like this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. This is Matthew 28 verse 16 to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And then I love it. And when they saw him, they worshiped him and some doubted. I just love that. I saw my friend die. I abandoned him. He's now been dead. He's standing before me with holes in his hands, and I'm not too sure, too sure about this. You have a category of faith like that? That's really what this text has shown us as well. The Lord of heaven and earth knows how to handle your doubts. So much so he will bend to them. Bend to them. You think I'm lying? Sorry for the bad pun. But... Uh, there was a little bit of a personal touch to Thomas. He met Thomas in the midst of his questions, in the midst of his uncertainties. That's what he does. And then lastly, lastly, a sort of takeaway, which brings me to this last point and where we kind of land the plane. The majority of the Christian life really is one of waiting like Abraham's. Now, I wish that weren't so. But if you read the Psalms, they say an awful lot about waiting. So much so that you think we might need to be really good at it to live life. I mean, just read them and you'll find things about being strong and having hope and waiting on the Lord. Because waiting is really hard. You see, in our world of haste, right, where I can find any fact that I want in the universe in a matter of microseconds where I can wake up in New York City and have lunch in L.A. This world of haste is one that the Bible just doesn't speak that much about. But I love what it says about Abraham in Hebrews chapter 6. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. In verse 15, and thus Abraham having waited patiently, obtained the promise. And you know what? Here's the great hope for you and me. We will too. That's our great hope. We will obtain the promise, dear friends. That is the great hope for us. Why? Because in Jesus, we find the fulfillment of all of God's yeses and amens. He is that for us. But here's the thing about waiting. There's not a shortcut for it. Do you know how you get good at waiting? I wish there was. You just got to wait. I wish there was another way around that. But there just isn't. Each day, each day, we remind one another of the God who is with us. We need a community of fellow waiters, waiters to remind us that God really is with us in the midst of the gap. In closing, Christ in Christ, God has given us what Abram only saw dimly. As Peter tells us, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. And as we wait, we wait with Jesus. Do you know that? We wait with him who was given for us. And having been given, 
him by God himself, as Paul puts it, how will he not also with him graciously give to us all thanks? That's our great hope, fellows. That's our great hope, brothers and sisters, that God will do this. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the life of Abraham. Thank you for the grace that you gave him and us by extension at that sunset. To remind us that you are the God who is faithful. That you are the God who makes promises and always keeps them. And that no matter where we're at in our respective gaps, as it were, you are a God who sees us and knows us and is with us and that you condescend to be with us. Thank you now. And we ask that you would meet us at your table. In Jesus' name, amen.